Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. In this episode of the Smart Economy Podcast, I sat down and spoke with Joseph Zielkowski, the CEO and co-founder at Realm Insurance. Realm is an insurance company that embraces new risks and seeks to bring resiliency to innovation. They work through a global distribution network to provide insurance capacity to support the companies that are pioneering new horizons. In this conversation, Joe and I talk about the role alternative insurance providers play in these cutting edge industries from crypto to psychedelics to esports to longevity, how regulatory bodies can help establish unique insurance opportunities, the various factors that Realm evaluates when underwriting, why larger insurance entities aren't jumping in to insure innovative companies, and so much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Joe, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today we are joined with Joseph Zielkowski, a fellow Polak. There you go. CEO and co-founder at Realm Insurance. How are you doing today, Joe? All is well. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So before we kick all of this off, when you were in school, you were the captain of your hockey team. Oh, wow. We're going over. Here. Okay. <laughs> and you've, you've since hung up your skates and I guess you split your time between uh, two really sunny and warm places. So generally speaking, what was that transition like from a cold and snowy climate where you were a participant on the hockey team to now living where you live? Well, physically, I hung up my skates, but mentally, I still skate every day. <laughs> yeah, no, I grew up in the Northeast and uh, you know, after... I got out of school. I started making my way further south. And then, you know, in 2005, I was in South Georgia, kind of one of my first jobs out of college and realized that flip-flops and bathing suits in December was more my cup of tea. And, uh, you know, I've been south ever since. So it's been all good. That's cool. Um, Yeah, I left. uh, I did the opposite. I left Miami and came to Denver in the hopes of chasing snow and, and climbing the mountains. So I always appreciate when people choose to locate in different climates than where they were from. Another thing we kind of have in common with one another is, though I myself am not in the insurance biz, uh, my dad was an insurance agent before he retired, albeit with Allstate and doing traditional insurance. But I've always grown up thinking that like insurance is kind of a traditional, boring middle path yeah. to you know getting that great middle class type of life. So it's interesting to talk to somebody in the insurance industry that's on the cutting edge. So uh, maybe you could just walk us through... Thanks for putting the air quotes around cutting edge. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you guys are you guys are underwriting some really innovative companies and we're definitely going to be getting into that. But like my dad, he located in a mall and had a small booth and grinded his way up to building a book of business. So what was your path into the insurance space like? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mention that because that absolutely 100% is the stereotype, right? The insurance industry is this boring, square, kind of one-dimensional, like monolith of an industry. And 
puts a lot of people to sleep. Either it makes them angry or it puts them to sleep, right? But if you you actually look at the insurance industry, you know, on a global basis and within the various sectors, there's actually a lot of amazingly creative and interesting and innovative things going on with the insurance industry, especially at the fringe. And that's really where I've focused a lot of my attention and and bandwidth over the last dozen years operating within the industry. So I think you know, if you look at financial services or you look at real estate development or you look at energy, you know, you could make stereotypes about kind of general perceptions of all these industries. But if you actually look at what's going on on the edge or on the fringe, there's some pretty amazing things going on within all these industries and, you know, insurance certainly among them. Yeah. And so what was kind of the moment where you kind of change your perspective about insurance or what was the job that kind of drew you into the space and uh, opened your eyes to the types of opportunity? I came into the insurance industry in a bit of a backwards way. Um, you know, most people come into the insurance industry kind of through a career not too dissimilar from the one that your dad had. I came into the industry through the kind of alternative risk financing and risk transfer side of the business, which is this niche sector of the insurance business that basically deals with solutions that enable sophisticated insureds to achieve conclusions and outcomes that you can't achieve through the traditional insurance marketplace. And you know, without getting too far into the weeds, most companies, you know, especially small to middle market companies, they sit down with their insurance agent or broker and the broker kind of informs them on the scope of the property and casualty and specialty insurance coverages that they need to protect the business from you know exposures arising from their operations. And in all of those scenarios, you know the company ends up paying a premium to a third-party insurance company. And if they're like most operators, which is to say if they're a good operator that you know pays attention to risk management and risk mitigation, that premium spend is an unrecoverable expense, right? You pay it to travelers, or you pay it to Liberty, or you pay it to you know Berkshire. Berkshire keeps your money and ends up paying out claims for less scrupulous owners. And so insurance kind of becomes the bane of a lot of business owners' existence. And when you realize that there's there are alternatives to procuring insurance, you know, you begin to realize that there's this whole other sector of the insurance industry that has been happening for the last 30 or 40 years. And it's where these, you know, sophisticated companies that, you know, operate in a variety of different sectors actually set up their own insurance or reinsurance subsidiary. And they start financing risk and premium through their own regulated entity. And then they're able to obtain a broader appetite and broader scope of market participation for really complicated risks and, and obtaining reinsurance. So when you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, like Google or Verizon or British Petroleum or Boeing, these companies aren't sitting down with their insurance broker and just taking recommendations to buy lines of coverage in the same way that a normal business would. They're utilizing their own insurance and reinsurance infrastructure to achieve these risk financing and, and risk transfer outcomes that you just can't get through the traditional insurance marketplace. So that's how I got into the industry. And you know, it really gives you an appreciation for what's capable through the traditional insurance market. And then when you realize the limitations of that market, you then have perspective on strategies and infrastructure and solutions that you can use to find different types of solutions. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that these new kind of solutions and these hybrid approaches kind of started becoming more popular four decades ago or so. 
So what was it about the 80s, 90s that made it possible for these new methods of insurance to arise? Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back to it, it's probably like 70 or 80 years ago that the first captive insurance company was set up. But it really comes down to insurance legislation, right? You look at jurisdictions like Bermuda, uh, for example, they actually created insurance legislation that was more accommodating to set up different types of insurance companies other than ones that just insure third-party risks, right? So put yourself in the shoes of an insurance regulator and you're regulating an insurance company that is providing homeowners and auto insurance to a bunch of, you know, let's say, unsophisticated insurance buyers. As a regulator, your biggest and most primary concern is ensuring that that insurance company is going to remain solvent so that it can uphold its policy obligations for all of these kind of less sophisticated insurance buyers. Well, if you as a regulator acknowledge that there's a different type of insurance company that's going to be extending its capacity only to a really sophisticated insurance buyer that has lots of financial wherewithal and a big risk management staff, you're going to enable them to set up an insurance company with less regulation, with more investment, you know, latitude on how they invest their assets, policy design and pricing. And so when you look at some of these really important insurance jurisdictions around the world, one of the reasons a jurisdiction like Bermuda has become so relevant to more complicated and interesting and creative forms of insurance is because they have a legislative and regulatory framework that enables insurance companies of different types of operations to form more efficiently and operate with more latitude. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say that it's the advent of open source information sharing that the internet enabled that has allowed for this sort of innovation? Because if your customers and clients and companies uh, have more access to information now, then they're more educated. So is this something that you think insurance regulators have kind of tapped into? Or is this just uh, reaching for straws? I think actually it's more of the latter. I think it's reaching for straws. I mean, I think you know it's more a condition of how the insurance industry works and has worked for the last 350 years, right? It's a backwards looking industry, which is to say it's constantly looking toward data related to certain loss types on a historical basis. And then it's using that data to inform pricing and reserving models to attempt to predict the future frequency and severity of loss, right? So if you think about that, using historical data to kind of predict the future and leverage that insight to arrive at pricing related to the types of coverage that you want to be issuing. If you don't have the historical data, you can't predict future frequency and severity of loss, which means you as an insurance company can't justify issuing the coverage. And in that sense, insurance is and has been somewhat black and white. It is highly kind of resistant to deploying capacity for new things because it's very difficult to understand how that risk is going to perform over the next one to two, three, five, and 10 years. And if you don't know how it's going to perform, you're not in a position to stand up in front of your underwriting committee or your reinsurance committee and give a lot of confidence about the company's ability to profitably write the risk. And so, you know, when new emerging risks arise, typically, you know, whether it's risks arising from companies operating within the blockchain and Web3 space, or whether it's new forms of sustainable energy, these companies are always confronted with significant challenges and obtaining traditional insurance because of just the general lack of accommodation for 
new and innovative things in the insurance world. Yeah. And I really want to dig into what it's like to be on the cutting edge in such a backwards looking industry. But I also want to paint a little bit of context before we go there. So uh, we'll touch upon that later in the discussion. I do want to hear a little bit about what your genesis with the crypto and blockchain space was. When did you first stumble on crypto? Was it Bitcoin, Ethereum, some other cryptocurrency? And uh, what were your initial insights about the asset class? So I bought my first Bitcoin in 2017. And that was largely driven by FOMO and not a real intense understanding of what was going on in the space. Actually, one of my my friends still today who I don't trust related to financial decisions had told me <laughs> that I really needed to look into BitConnect as a great opportunity to earn outsized daily returns. And I was like, listen, this is amazing in a vacuum, but absolutely not real and impossible. Of course, we know how BitConnect ended up unfolding. But you know, I was kind of being peripherally made aware of you know the different opportunities and things that were happening within this not well understood financial ecosystem. And I finally kind of took the plunge and bought some Bitcoin. And as it turned out, some of my insurance you know, related services cross paths with a company that was operating in the digital asset space. And they needed help in obtaining a form of commercial crime insurance that would give them the ability to point to a source of financial recovery in the event of fraud or death. And, you know, long story short, it was really the first window for me into understanding you know, the importance of the technology that these companies were leveraging to increase the efficiency and transparency in finance. It was the first window for me into realizing you know, that these initiatives were really important and compelling, and they were being led by individuals with really great backgrounds in finance and technology. And they had you know, investors behind them who were sophisticated in their own right and were making significant investments because of their belief in the technology and products and services these companies were pushing out. It was also crystal clear that so much of the headline risk in 2017 around you know, frauds and rug pulls and Silk Road and money laundering, yet certainly that was a component of this kind of new frontier, but it was a very tiny fraction of what was actually taking place. And the majority of that was positive and really interesting. And so, you know, when I had that experience, you know, I think and you zoom out a little bit and you look at what's going on globally within this really new emerging frontier, you realize that this technology is going to change the way that we operate within the financial world. It's likely going to impact real estate and it's going to impact healthcare and it's going to impact energy and logistics. And then when you also kind of reconcile that with the fact that I know intimately how slow insurance capacity evolves, right? You can't help but recognize this as a really huge opportunity, which is to say the demand for insurance coverage within the digital asset and Web3 space was only going to increase. And the capacity available to them from an insurance standpoint was likely not going to move. And so from my perspective at the time, the solution really, the only solution was to set up a new insurance company that had the ability to retain risk in its own right, create and you know modify new and, and traditional insurance products in a way that was going to provide a mutually beneficial solution, which is to say, give these insureds the access to insurance coverage that they need in order to scale their business and put us as a new insurance company insuring some of these new risks 
in a position to remain profitable and viable for the benefit of our policyholders. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited to dig into Realm, but for a lot of our audience who understandably might not be uh, in the day-to-day weeds of the insurance industry, can we just clear up a little bit of jargon uh, so that as we have this conversation, people can understand a little bit about what we're talking about? So uh, sorry if these are very elementary questions, but I just want to have these definitions out there. Um, So what is a crypto insurance carrier? Well, it's kind of a misnomer, right? Because Realm is a fully regulated commercial insurance company, right? Just like a lot of the other insurance companies that people are aware of, not dissimilar from Allstate, right? We are an incorporated company. We're regulated in the second most significant insurance and reinsurance jurisdiction in the world by the Bermuda Monetary Authority. And the real distinguishing factor for Realm as a kind of boring traditional insurance company is that we've decided to focus our capacity on supporting companies doing really innovative and interesting things. Mm -hmm. What is underwriting? Underwriting. Yeah, good question. So underwriting is, it's a process of categorizing risk and pricing risk related to the different exposures related to the coverages that you're looking at providing coverage for. So, you know, as an example, when you look at something like directors and officers, liability risk, right? Maybe some of your audience are familiar with directors and officers liability risk, but probably not, right? If you're sitting in the capacity as a director or an officer of a company, you are liable for what are called wrongful acts Mm -hmm. that are um, related to you operating in your capacity as a director and officer. So whether it's you know, alleged non-compliance from regulators, or if you have investors that feel they've been financially damaged by negligent or perceived you know, dumb decisions that you've made in charting or failing to chart the course for the company, or competitors who are alleging that maybe you've you know, infringed on some of their IP, or customers who feel they've been maligned because of your you know, harmful consumer strategies. All of these things can result in lawsuits or enforcement actions or in investigations. And the company is ultimately going to be liable for a lot of these things. But almost always, the individuals who are leading the charge for these companies are also going to be sued. Hmm. And directors and officers liability insurance exists to provide protection to these and those of these companies in the event that they become kind of personally liable for anything the company's doing. And so when you think about underwriting directors and officers liability insurance, you have to look at a company's financials. You know How well are they financially situated? Do they have the cash to manage this business in a viable, prudent, and compliant manner over the next 12 to 18 months? Is the management team competent? Right? Are these guys and, and women capable of making rational, informed decisions related to the products and services that they're putting out into the market? What does their compliance infrastructure look like? Do they care about compliance? Do they not care about compliance? How much investment are they making into their technology and to their products? What does their marketing and communication externally look like? And so when you look at the DNO underwriting effort, it's this quantitative and qualitative exercise that enables you to arrive at this conclusion of, is this a good risk or is it a bad risk? And if we say we think it's a good risk, we then walk through a pricing exercise that takes into account the merits and facts and circumstances of you know, the particular account to arrive at a premium. And that is probably a long-winded way of explaining what underwriting is. Well, there's a lot I want to unpack there, but I also just want to get this last uh, Eli 5 out. Can you just explain what reinsurance is? Sure. Reinsurance is insurance 
for insurance companies, right? So you as the operator of the Smart Economy podcast, you might have to buy, let's say, a media liability policy related to people claiming you've defamed them or you've said something on your podcast that has harmed them in some way. You buy insurance as a way of transferring the risk related to any of that potential liability to an insurance company who's willing to accept it. Well, Realm as an insurance company issues these insurance policies to hundreds of companies operating in different locations all over the world. And we retain all of that risk on our balance sheet. Reinsurance is a way for Realm to transfer some of that risk off of our balance sheet onto the balance sheet of a different type of insurance company. Awesome. Thanks for giving us a little bit of umbrella basic terms so that we have some uh, context moving forward. So Realm Insurance is a cutting edge insurance entity that's operating in an industry that is overwhelmingly backwards looking. So what is Realm Insurance and what are the type of cutting edge industries that you guys are helping insure, including but not limited to crypto? Yeah. So, I mean, what is cutting edge? It's a I think beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? But if you look at really where we're focusing a lot of our energy and attention, it's behind these technologies and initiatives that we actually genuinely believe in as things that are going to yield a lot of good and efficiency in different sectors. So you mentioned digital asset, you know, and the Web3 ecosystem as a whole. You know, we kind of touched on some of these points already, but you know, the idea of decreasing the friction in financial transactions and the idea of making financial solutions available to people in areas of the world where they historically or previously haven't been available. The initiatives of providing transparency into a not well understood aspect of something that's really important to everybody around the world. You know, all of these things are made possible through distributed ledger-based solutions. And the impacts are going to be pervasive. We're already seeing the impacts in the logistics industry. We're seeing the impacts in real estate. We're seeing the potential for impacts in healthcare. So from our perspective, we're looking at things on the cutting edge that are not ephemeral, right? That are not here today, gone tomorrow, that are going to have a long-standing impact. And we want to position ourselves as subject matter experts as early as we possibly can so that not only can we support companies that are doing amazing things within these sectors, but we can learn as much about how these sectors and subsectors and entire ecosystems are evolving. And we've taken the same approach to companies operating in the cannabis and alternative therapeutic space. So, you know, if you had told me in 2018 that I was going to be insuring companies using MDMA and ketamine and psilocybin and ayahuasca and LSD as initiatives to solve really important problems with like eating disorders and substance abuse and PTSD and depression. I would have said you're out of your mind. But you know, we've now provided coverage to companies pursuing some of these kind of neurologic initiatives in seven different countries around the world. And now you look at what's happening from a regulatory standpoint, and Washington has legalized it. Colorado has just legalized certain forms of you know psychedelics. The province of Alberta in Canada has legalized it. Australia has legalized it. There's 25 state referendums within the US to either decriminalize or legalize certain types of psychedelic components. So when you look at where this is going, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, this is a field of medicine and therapy that is going to fundamentally change 
the way we treat certain really important diseases. And our perspective is we want to make sure that the companies who are doing great things or are trying to do great things in these sectors have efficient access to capacity. And you know, we also look at other sectors that maybe aren't so you know, fundamental to human happiness or health, uh, like esports, right? There's a lot of cool stuff going on in esports and online gaming. These companies are pursuing you know, really interesting opportunities within regulated frameworks. And because some of their operations are perceived to be kind of outside of the norm or something that would fall within a square box, they have a difficult time getting insurance. So we want to focus our capacity on companies like that. And then outside of our core sector, you look at what's going on in artificial intelligence, uh, autonomous vehicles, and you know, within the biotech space, longevity. I mean, there's amazing things that are going on in longevity right now, some of which are kind of scary, but ultimately, you know, amazing. We could spend a ton of time digging into uh, you know, some of those initiatives and looking at the risks arising from these clinical trials and coming to the conclusion that these people have nowhere to turn for coverage. Yeah. And so we look at the opportunity going forward as almost endless. And it's more just a function of funneling these different emerging technologies and sectors down into something that resembles a priority list and making sure that we've got the resources to develop expertise. Yeah, that's really cool. I uh, I myself voted to decriminalize psilocybin here in Denver so that it could be used for uh, studying, helping with mental health, health issues and other disorders that traditional healthcare just is not providing. Yeah. And so, you know, when I talk with uh, my mom's boyfriend, he's down in the dumps because his cannabis stocks are down. Mm. But ultimately, that's an industry that can be used as an alternative uh, sort of health a solution. So I guess I'm curious, do you think that insurance companies like Realm are kind of the canary in the coal mine for the cutting edge technology and like the future that it, it offers? So like, for example, if we're starting to see more MDMA and um, hallucinogenic sort of alternative medicines apply for insurance, is it safe to say that the more companies that are seeking insurance opportunities that the industry itself is becoming more and more concrete and something that has legs and will stand the test of time? It's a really interesting perspective. I mean, maybe that's giving us more credit than we deserve. But I certainly think you know, the, it's a great point that if companies are looking for insurance, that to me is the first barrier to entry of legitimate operators, right? And that's not to say every company that buys insurance is, is legitimate. But when you look at companies operating, let's say, in the psychedelic space, or the digital asset space, completely different industries, but the same kind of situation. If you are a sketchy operator that's scammy and looking to either pump and dump your token or your stock or looking to try to pull one over on your consumers, you're not going to subject yourself to a really kind of invasive underwriting process that's going to require transparency and due diligence and engagement. So I think when you see a little bit of momentum within some of these fringe sectors or industries or initiatives, making the decision to subject themselves to the underwriting process for traditional insurance products that they're absolutely going to need to have in place in order to scale their business, in order to raise capital, in order to get licenses, in order to trade with other companies. Um, I think that is a sign of maturity within the industry. And I think it's a good sign that it's probably headed in the right direction with some you know, companies that recognize the importance of operating a company in a kind of a little bit more of a traditional way. Mm -hmm. Interesting insights. So 
the realm collaborated with uh what is it the bermuda monetary authority and what's the right way to word this is the type of work that you're doing could you have established in another jurisdiction like in the US or in Europe with the current way that insurance regulation is moving or did realm need to seek out uh specifically an authority that is forward thinking and kind of open to these opportunities? Is it just the BMA that is kind of like opening the doors? Or are you seeing that maybe larger US-based regulators are also interested in opening the doors for conversations with Realm like the BMA was? Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of points to touch on there. So when you look at Bermuda, as an insurance jurisdiction, even though Bermuda is a relatively small kind of island in the middle of the Atlantic, you know, I think it's 60 square miles, $200 billion worth of insurance and reinsurance premium is flowing through the largest balance sheets in the insurance world every single year. So, you know, when you compare it to US jurisdictions, it's far bigger than almost every US, it's far bigger than every single state, you know, insurance jurisdiction. And as a result, you know, the regulators there have seen some of the most creative and interesting things from insurance and reinsurance strategy. So it's a really sophisticated regulatory body. But could we have set up Realm in a US state? Yes. Could we have set up Realm in, could we have set it up in London? Yeah, we could have. Could we have set it up in a Caribbean jurisdiction? Yes, we could have. The reason we ended up landing in Bermuda, though, is because to be able to talk to sophisticated insurance regulators, that are also really informed on what's going on in the digital asset space is a really unique dynamic. And Bermuda, to its credit, passed the Digital Asset Business Act back in 2018, which is the regulatory framework for authorizing companies operating in the digital asset ecosystem. So the Bermuda Monetary Authority, who oversees and regulates insurance and reinsurance companies, also oversees and regulates and authorizes companies operating in the digital asset business space. So the first important reason we landed in Bermuda is alignment. To be able to talk to regulators without also having to explain to them technology, without also having to explain to them why all of the nefarious activities that make the headlines aren't really what we should be focusing on, was an immediate door opener. And I think Bermuda was also far more aware of the importance that insurance was going to play for companies in these innovative sectors. And the second reason I think that was most important is because Bermuda, to their credit, and you know, you know, there's there's a ton of support from the Bermudian government and also the BMA, which is you know kind of a private regulatory body. But they actually created this license class called IIGB, which stands for Innovative Insurer General Business. And we were the first insurance company to obtain this insurance authorization. And the reason it's significant is because the IIGB license actually enables us to transact insurance in the traditional way, which is to say, pricing coverage in US dollars and offering limits in US dollars and holding US dollars on our balance sheet. But it also enables us to do really interesting and innovative things like denominating our policy limits in Ethereum and holding Ethereum on our balance sheet and still taking credit for those assets for solvency purposes. So that IIGB license and the thought that went into it by the BMA actually created a new solvency model that enables us to actually take credit for holding digital assets on our balance sheet. And in a different jurisdiction, 
those assets would be worth zero for solvency purposes. So there's a lot of really interesting things we can do with this kind of fully regulated way of doing insurance in the traditional and non-traditional way. Yeah, that's super cool. So what are the types of insurance that Realm offers? I mean, to be spread across so many different types of industries, there have to be different types of offerings. So what are your primary offerings? And um, maybe what's the process like for when you're exploring a new way to insure a new company? So, you know, and this is probably the most boring part of our business model, right? And I think this is something that a lot of people lose sight of. A lot of our businesses comprised of traditional insurance products you know, that we've modified in a way that makes them much more relevant and substantive for the companies that we're insuring. But if you look at you know, what really kind of has driven our premium and therefore kind of revenue volume over the last three plus years, it's things like directors and officers liability insurance, you know, which we talked about before. It's commercial crime insurance, which deals with theft of financial things, cyber insurance, professional liability insurance, right? These are traditional coverages that any company operating in you know, the financial services space would need in order to scale their business. And no surprise, legitimate operators in new and emerging industries need access to these coverages as well. Now, that's kind of our starting point. And I think the more interesting side of our business, though, is the product development initiatives that we've been able to execute on that ultimately start with providing traditional kind of, let's say, boring insurance, right? So in order for us to underwrite a company that's offering, you know, or that's operating, let's say, as a professional staking firm, right? We're going to have to underwrite that company and learn about all those things that I told you before. Financials, deep dive into their financial situation, historical current perspective, management team, products, services, you know, where are they operating? How are they operating? Security, you know, all those important things that you would, want to know in order to form a sound basis for deciding to provide a company like that, directors and officers liability insurance. But as part of that underwriting initiative and also supported by our commitment to knowing as much as we possibly can about how companies are operating in these different sectors, you end up encountering products that could be enhanced if they were backed by insurance or services that could be more commercially appetizing if they had an insurance kind of component to them, right? And so when you look at what's happening in the professional staking space, you've got these great companies that are offering, you know, less sophisticated institutional and retail participants the opportunity to stake their digital assets on their infrastructure and give these companies access to a staking reward. Mm -hmm. Well, if the infrastructure provider is managing those nodes properly, then yeah, the great part is their clients are getting a staking reward, kind of like a fixed income return, and it's safe and secure. But if these infrastructure operators are not managing these nodes properly, or God forbid they have some sort of malicious intent with the way that they're trying to maintain operations of these nodes, the financial penalties for their clients could be severe, right? It could be a slashing penalty that results in basically the evaporation of 100% of the assets they've staked with this professional staking firm. And so, you know, we were able to work with a couple of the most significant infrastructure providers in the space to create this slashing insurance product, which allows them to approach more sophisticated institutional investors that want access to the return, but don't have a risk management framework that enables them to check the appropriate boxes to commit the capital. 
And so we've created the slashing insurance product that provides a source of financial recovery in the event that those staking services don't go as planned. And that's just kind of one example of some of the cooler, more interesting things that we've been up to over the last three years. Yeah, perfect. And what's kind of like the timeline or the time horizon that Realm takes into consideration when evaluating businesses to insure? Because again, insurance is such a backwards looking business. Crypto as an industry is only 14 years old if we count Bitcoin's first block in January of 2009. So what are the sort of time horizons that you guys are taking into perspective when evaluating a company? You mean in terms of like creating a new product or just going through kind of like an underwriting initiative for, let's say, a traditional product? Like, um, let's say you're dealing with this uh, slashing insurance. What's the time horizon that you take looking forward? Is it something, are we talking about like a five-year policy? Are we talking about like a 12-month policy that gets renewed every year? Oh, yeah. Most of our coverages are 12-month policies, which is pretty standard in the property and casualty industry. Okay. So I'm trying to, without like necessarily putting you on the spot, there are just so many ways in which bad actors can uh, maliciously attack networks. We've got rug pulls, we've got attacking bridges, we've got protocol hacks, all this stuff. So how does all of these unknown unknowns kind of play into your risk management policies? Yeah, so I think it's it's a great starting point for a discussion and a topic that frames the basis for why insurance capacity is so hard to come by, in, especially if you're operating in a decentralized finance space, right? So when you look at hacks, right, there's been nearly $3 billion worth of assets that have kind of gone missing, arising from smart contract failures of one form or another. So you, know, you could look at that and say, my God, why would anybody want to provide insurance for you know, smart contract failures arising from exploited code or bad code or Oracle failures or flash loan attacks. Like all of this just sounds like a terrible idea. But, you know, I think if you start to peel back the onion and you look at the source of the risk, which is the smart contract itself or the smart contract system, and you're dealing with the developers of the smart contract system, and they're giving you transparency into the security audits that they've undertaken. And then you're able to review the remediation efforts that they've subsequently taken for those medium and high severity risks. And then you look at the competency of the development team and you look at the governance related to the particular protocol and you look at the communication to the participants. You can then start to, again, categorize good risk from bad risk. You know, if you're dealing with a new protocol, with not a lot of transparency and no real history of successful operation and no transparency related to the outcome of a recent security audit, not touching it. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna put up any sort of capacity for that sort of company. But you know, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, if we on our side are willing to engage with the insurers and the developers of these really important types of technology in the decentralized finance space, and they're willing to engage with us in kind of a collaborative way, we feel confident in our ability to extend our balance sheet in support of those types of initiatives. And so, you know, it's, it, it goes back to the source of the challenge for companies operating in new and emerging sectors. On the surface, there's a ton of reason why insurance companies should not want to be providing insurance 
to things arising from these different operations. But if you're willing to dig a little bit deeper and take a sincere interest and really learn about how these companies are operating and making money and creating products and services, and you're also willing to engage with these companies at an operational level, you can, I think, make some great decisions about how to provide coverage to these different initiatives. Mm -hmm. Have you had to learn like coding languages like Python or Rust or Golang or Solidity to help better your understanding of kind of the innate ways that these blockchain networks operate? No. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could sit here and say that I can code in Solidity and Rust. Yeah, but the cool part is when you're building out an underwriting team, you know, we've got a, a really amazing underwriting team that's comprised of people that have traditional underwriting experience. You know, then we also have people that knew nothing about underwriting coming in here, but are extremely technical when it comes to programming or cybersecurity. And so when you're able to start picking and choosing the people that are going to put you as a company in a position to really understand how these companies are operating and make informed underwriting decisions, um, you then can point to people within the overall team that have these capabilities to explain to me things that I personally just, you know, I'm not aware of or capable of understanding. Yeah. Before I was uh, covering the crypto space full-time, I worked as an urban planner for various different types of governments. And one of my favorite things that I used to like to say is we converted engineer speak into human speak so we could talk about what the engineers were talking about with the public in a way that they could understand and consume how this was going to impact their day-to-day -day life. So. This is actually a nice opportunity to share a little bit more about uh, the Realm team. Uh, how many team members do you have? How many underwriters do you have? Are you guys growing? Could you just share a little bit more about Realm and uh, the folks who are working for you guys? Yeah, so we have a full-time staff now of 30 people. And as I mentioned, I think one of the coolest parts about Realm, other than the industries that we focus a lot of our attention on, is kind of the cross-section of the people that make up the team. You know, when you look at Carol Ferris, who's our you know, head of accounting and finance, she was in a controller position for a company called Bermuda Fire and Marine for 16 years. I mean, the oldest insurance company in Bermuda. And now she's leading all things accounting and finance at Realm. When you look at you know, our underwriting team, we've got half a dozen members of our team with really professional and credential underwriting experience at some of the largest you know, insurance companies in the world that have taken a leap out of a position that's ultimately really secure for well-known branded insurance companies in the space and have made the decision to come over to Realm because they see the opportunity to be creative and exercise latitude and grow. Um, and then we've also hired people that, as I mentioned, knew nothing about the insurance world before, but we're really passionate about you know the industries that we're focusing on. And you know, Sophia from our team, she was formerly with Goldman before she came over to Realm, knew nothing about insurance, but is the ultimate Bitcoin maximalist and you know has made some significant waves since she's come on board almost two years ago. So that's the fun part, I would say. Picking the team and hoping that you know we can collaborate together to do some really interesting things in a relatively boring industry. Yeah, totally. And speaking of of that. What are the conferences you guys are going to? Are you going to... So one of my friends, uh, she works for Names and she talks... Uh, Danielle. Cool. Uh, she talks a little bit about the conferences that they go to and how when she goes to insurance conferences, everyone views them as like the kooky crypto insurance folks. 
But when she goes to crypto conferences, everyone's like, oh, you guys are the boring insurance folks. Like nobody wants anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. So the the realm that you're in right now, you have a foot in one door and a foot in another door. And neither neither side necessarily like aligns with your vision. So what are the types of conferences you're going to? What are the insights that you're you're getting from these participants? And maybe over the past few years, have insights changed and have perceptions changed about the services that you guys offer as insurance in this cutting edge crypto, Web3, digital asset space has become increasingly more and more important? It's kind of a natural progression for new and emerging industries, right? When they start buying insurance, it is a really important point in the maturity of that industry. And so I could say back in 2018 and you know 2019 when we got our license, the idea of an insurance company sponsoring the Bitcoin Miami conference was certainly outside the box. But what you end up finding, of course, is that while a lot of other insurance companies or most other insurance companies weren't focusing on that as a potential opportunity, when you start to engage with the companies that are attending these conferences, some of them, of course, are you know they want to they want to operate their business with as little kind of traditional influence as they possibly can but other companies that are a little bit further along in their life cycle recognize the importance of having access to regulated insurance products so i think there's been an increasing awareness certainly over the last 3 or 4 years of the importance that insurance you know the important role that insurance is going to play in the institutional adoption and mainstream adoption of all the different types of products and services coming out of the decentralized finance space and then or uh distributed ledger technology space but and then on the insurance side of things you know we're constantly to your point this up against companies that have been around for so long and have massive balance sheets in terms of establishing our credibility as a you know a legitimate insurance company and we try not to focus on the perception from other markets too much we really focus on making sure our distribution partners have access to an informed capacity provider. And we try to work through that distribution network to make sure as many good companies operating in the sectors we're targeting can have efficient access to our capacity. And we think if we do that for a long enough time with enough success, we'll be able to continue to build credibility in both sides of the fence. So I guess um, it's a hard way to, to word this diplomatically. Why is Realm Insurance the one that's stepping up to the plate to ensure these cutting edge industries? And why isn't it like a large scale, 100 plus year old insurance company? Why aren't they just jumping in to fill the gap for insuring like new crypto services? I mean, we see Fidelity investing into its exposure and understanding of various different crypto networks. And this is a traditional financial service. So why isn't like Lloyd's of London jumping in to do this or Allstate? Why is it Realm Insurance? Well, I think, again, it, it ties back to a few things that we talked about at the beginning. You know, number one, the lack of historical loss experience is kind of a condition that prevents fast adoption and you know, commitments to make capacity available for new and interesting things. You know, the other, I think, component is the headline risk that comes with technology that's been used, you know, supposedly for all of these nefarious things, even though it accounts for less than 1% of the overall transaction volume, right? Money laundering, buying illicit drugs, human trafficking, all these terrible things that really make up such a small fraction 
of the good stuff that's going on in the, in the digital asset space. But regardless of how prevalent these negative things are within these larger insurance companies, they're oftentimes very bureaucratic. And, and that certainly works to their favor as large publicly traded companies, right? You've got to have different types of committees and hierarchies and decision-making processes that enable you to continue kind of to deliver in the best interest of your shareholders. But these same, you know, kind of structural, you know, kind of frameworks prevent exercising latitude and, you know, kind of seizing on opportunities. And you also have reinsurance, right? I mean, as much as everybody kind of hears about what's going on in the insurance world, so much of what the insurers are able to do is dictated by their reinsurers, right? Their reinsurers are not going to continue providing reinsurance if you are insuring things that they are not comfortable with, right? So you might have insurance companies or you know, syndicates within Lloyd's that recognize the opportunity in the digital asset space as viable and tangible. But if their reinsurers are not on board with it, their hands are tied. So you have these kind of different components along the way that tie back to data, that tie back to kind of bureaucracy, that tie back to things like reinsurance that just prevent a lot of widespread participation. But having said all of that, look at what happened with cyber insurance. You know, 15 years ago, there were not a lot of hmm. companies participating in providing capacity for cyber insurance. But as that data set builds and as that loss experience becomes more tangible, you get more market participation. And that's the way the insurance industry functions. There's more markets participating in providing insurance capacity today than there was three years ago. And there will certainly be more five and 10 years down the road. So it's just kind of a, a kind of a natural progression of things. Cool. We're getting towards the end of our time. So I kind of want to end the conversation with some higher level, kind of 10,000 foot level questions. Sure. And 2022 was arguably one of the worst years for a lot of perceptions in the crypto space. Not only did we have a massive protocol failure in Terra that impacted so many people, myself included, but we also had this major corruption at centralized institutions that were viewed as the paragon of trustworthy and things like FTX, you know, we had sponsorships on sports arenas in Miami. There were commercials, there were big media brands and big athletes and famous people repping FTX. So there was a lot of reputational damage last year from both angles, from both a protocol failing and from both uh, an entity that we were supposed to trust. So how did both of these types of failures impact the sort of way that Realm is able to operate? And maybe what are some of the nuances between the differences and the types of failures? So, yeah, I think certainly you highlighted an important point regarding kind of the volatility arising from 2022. But while I don't think anyone could have foreseen that the FTX situation would have concluded the way that it did, it is indicative of the hesitation, right? for traditional insurance companies to want to support new industries. So if you're going to be providing insurance capacity or you're going to be making investments in or participating in these new sectors, you have to be prepared for volatility. You have to be prepared for variability. You have to have an eye toward 
the impacts of regulatory uncertainty. So for us, it validated the importance of risk selection and the due diligence that we do in order to make informed decisions to underwrite these companies. So, you know, from our standpoint, it continued to validate the way that we approach risk, which is we need transparency. And if we've got people on the other side of the table who are willing to give us the transparency, then we want to extend our balance sheet in support of the businesses. I think outside of the insurance world, it has been a point of rapid maturity and a culling of the herd, so to speak, within the financial asset space. The people who are still standing today are more resilient, are more sensitive toward things like counterparty risk, are more sensitive toward doing the appropriate due diligence on people they're hiring, governance, risk and compliance, information security, internal controls, all of these things that are hallmarks of traditional, more mature industries are now becoming part of the daily and monthly mandate of the companies that are best positioned within this new sector. So super unfortunate, absolutely unforeseen, tons of turmoil. But the silver lining is that this is really a function of short-term pain and long-term date. Yeah. In kind of a moment of self-reflection, do these events, does Realm feel like, yes, we didn't expect this to happen, but we accounted for it? Does it kind of like shake your faith in your decision-making process? What does that do for your psyche when we just keep having these like blow after blow after blow of this contagion that 2022 represented? Yeah. So in yeah, as we sit here on April 7th in 2023, you know, I can affirmatively communicate that we are battle tested at this point. You know, in April 7th of 2022, I really couldn't make a strong case for the fact that we had sustained and come out in a great position from really substantial market volatility. So when you look at the, the four kind of pillars of our underwriting philosophy, which is good risk selection, adequate pricing, disciplined in the actual dollar amount of limits we're providing each one of our insurance, and then managing the deductible or the retention in you know the most rational fashion. That has turned out to be, I don't want to say our saving grace, but it has turned out to be a really important reason why we're continuing to hire today, why we grew our book in 2022, while we're continuing to bring more important products and solutions into these sectors. And we certainly sustained claims activity that we didn't anticipate sustaining arising from you know the 2022 turmoil. But again, I think it puts us in a great position to have even more conviction about the way that we're operating realm and the way that we're moving deeper and broader into the sectors that we're supporting. Cool. So what are kind of the big picture innovations that are coming to the insurance industry or maybe some of the bigger picture areas that you guys are starting to focus on now? Yeah, I think, you know, as far as innovations go, there's some really interesting stuff going on within kind of like the decentralized insurance protocol space. You know, while a lot of those you know, solutions right now that a lot of people are aware of are not necessarily regulated or insurance in the technical sense, it does present some really interesting solutions for spreading risk and transferring risk. So I think when you look at the idea of on-chain insurance type solutions, there's actually a, a really lot of interesting opportunity and innovation that's going to come out of that aspect of kind of the evolving insurance space. And then I think when you look at just the general pace of 
of innovation. You know, when you look at what's going on with chat GPT, I mean, artificial intelligence has really been a thing for a long time, but never has it become more relevant than it is now. And now people are talking about AI governance and you know, how are we ensuring that AI is combing medical journals and not Twitter feeds to arrive at conclusions for you know, doctors who are using it now? It seems crazy to think of, but the pace of innovation is only increasing. And I think it it makes our kind of justification for our existence that much more important, which is to try to find the winners and the best actors and give them the coverage they need to do the things they need to do going forward. And uh, based off of the Web3 companies that are seeking insurance, uh, maybe you're noticing a certain concentration in a certain sector like DeFi or NFTs or DAOs or whatever. Based off of the conversations that you're having right now with new companies seeking insurance, what do you think is going to be a major trend in the next year to pay attention to when it comes specifically to crypto or Web3? It's a good question. I would say it's really going to be a function of these companies taking a hard look at their risk management strategies, looking at the insurance coverage they have or don't have, and putting themselves in a position to stand up to their stakeholders, whether those are board members or regulators or sophisticated clients, and being able to point to some traditional reference points of financial protection in the form of insurance that they know they're going to need to have going forward. So while that's not earth shattering and interesting, I think it is a sign of the times. And we think the road ahead is is a good one. Yeah, I think with such an old industry as insurance to start having more and more crypto companies seek it out, I think that in and of itself is something to keep in mind. It's just uh, amalgamating or solidifying the fact that this is an industry that's here to stay. So super exciting stuff. You guys are working on a lot of really cool things beyond Web3 and crypto. It was super cool to talk about some of these other industries. It was really awesome to hop on the mic and get to chat about insurance, which is something I've grown up with my entire life, but never really found to be super engaging. Uh, So I can honestly say that this is one of the more fascinating conversations about insurance I've ever had in my life. So Joe, I want to thank you so much for coming to join the Smart Economy podcast. Talk to us about the cool things that are you're working on at Realm. If people want to keep up to date with you or with Realm, or if somebody listening to this is interested in getting insurance through Realm, what are the best ways that they can keep up with you and get in contact with your team? Yeah, I would say uh, go to our website, which is www.realminsurance.com. And yeah, you can find other ways to connect with us on the website. But thanks so much, Joe. It's been great. This is as you say, the most interesting conversation you've had about insurance. It's a pretty low bar, but I'll take that as a compliment. And definitely appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, well, it was great. Um, definitely looking forward to running into you and your team in the wild. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Great. Thanks so much. Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was really cool to hear Joe's insights into how Realm looks into the future of cutting-edge industries and how they prioritize the long-lasting potential of certain spaces. While he played down my canary in the coal mine analogy, Joe did bring up a good point. If companies are looking for insurance, that's the first barrier to entrance for a company that is seeking to be a legitimate, long-standing operator. Looking forward, it'll be really interesting to see how the insurance space will integrate blockchain into its processes. And I look forward to seeing what kind of innovation can come to such a long-standing industry. On that note, 
I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep Neo News Today in mind when voting for your Neo Council representative as part of Neo's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.